so, I wonder what you think about when someone gets up to talk about money. I bet some of you, or maybe me, think, actually, that's a private affair. Don't intrude. What I do with my money is my affair. It's not, it's not God's. Um, other people might be like, oh, I already know the church's agenda here. They just want me to give more. Come on, that's it, done. <laughs> so I'll just switch off and I'll nod along and just, Dave will think he's doing a great talk if I smile and nod. But inside I'm thinking, what am I making for dinner? What am I going to have for lunch? Because, you know, I've already thought this through. I tithe, it's fine. Um, or do we feel condemned or guilty? So often I've been to see inspiring preachers uh, who talk about money sometimes. And they, you, you hear of inspiring people like, um, I can't remember his name, American pastor. He, he earned loads of money through the purpose-driven life. Have you, Rick Warren. Rick Warren. Uh, so he earned a lot of money through that book. And he said he started to tithe at 10%. And then him and his wife sat down and they figured, I actually would give a bit more 20 And now he's giving up to 90% of his wages back to the church and living off that 10%. And that's like the other way around what we expect. And I think, that's great for you. I'm just going to hold that arm's length and just you do that. That's fine. I can't do that. Um, And so we hear these inspiring messages, people that have laid down everything and gone off and done something else. And inside, if I'm honest, I just feel a bit condemned and guilty. And then, as a result, I'll switch off and just nod along and say, yeah, great. (laughs) Don't disturb me in my way of doing things. So I've been given the task of talking about money in church. Uh, So you might be feeling various of those responses. Um, that's, That's the reality, isn't it? That's where we're at. You also might feel joy and happiness at stages of this talk, which is lovely as well. So we'll go, we'll see. So why is money so important to God? Um, quick question. Did Jesus say more about money in the Bible than he did about heaven and hell? Yes, he did. He said a lot more about money. Jesus said more about handling money and possessions than any other single thing in the Bible. Now, I've got a friend called Pete Berry, and he got up to do a sermon once, a previous church I went to, and it was about money. And he pulled out a £10 note, and I wish I was doing it. I'm not brave enough. He pulled out a £10 note, and he turned on his lighter, and he burnt it in front of everyone to start his talk on money. We were like, whoa, what is he doing? And again, various responses pop out of you. So some people went, treason. You can't burn the face of of the queen. That's just awful. How could you do that? Other people were like, that money could have been given to... The poor, to a charity, which really reflects with Mary's pouring the perfume onto Jesus and Judas saying that money should have been given to the poor because that might have been Pete offering it up to God in his own way. And a lot of people got angry. Some people were just like, you just burnt money for entertainment. What are you doing? Like all these various responses come out of people. And as a speaker, you can't, you know, you, you just don't know what's going to come out of these kind of things. We all have different emotional and physical responses to money. Um, uh, but I'll always remember that talk because it was shocking. <laughs> it was really shocking. He's 
burnt, ten pound, a ten pound note. His, his point, though, is that often... So he has a history of um, gambling addiction. And he was trapped by a crushing debt in, for most of his adult life. And this gambling, he'd lost his, his partner, he'd lost his wife, his car, his job, everything. And through God, it had completely turned around. He's now really, he's an amazing salesman. Uh, he's got a wife, he's got a child, and he's got a house. And he is on fire for God. And when he got up to do that talk, he just wanted to say, I am free of this, and burnt it. And obviously other people in that congregation weren't at that point. They might be on the journey, and they might be nowhere near it, but they weren't where he was at, and so he got a real angry, shocking response. But Pete Berry is free of money, which you know, I think in itself is a miracle after seeing what he's been through. And there's also, around money, various myths. So you might have heard from my accent, I'm Scottish. Um, it doesn't really come out that strong. But have you ever heard of the stingy Scotsman? Well, that's a... No, that's not a myth. I'm really stingy. <laughs> I'd like to think it was a myth, but it's not the way I've been brought up. Uh, <laughs> um, and there's a famous saying, if you want to know what God thinks about money, just look at the people that have it, or that he's given it to. And I'm like, ooh, actually, I'm quite privileged. Is that me? And when we hear stories of the widow's might in the Bible, she gave out of her poverty, she gave everything. And Jesus said, look at that woman, look what she's done, compared to just giving a little bit out of her wealth. Again, is that an uncomfortable reaction you get in yourself? I do. I feel a bit guilty and condemned. But if we are feeling condemned or guilty when we talk about money, then we're missing the point. Because all these stories are about the joy and the love that people encountered through Jesus. Zacchaeus met Jesus, transformed his life, and gave back loads of his money. The widow's might, out of this generosity and love, gave all that she had. It's not about the comparison. It's not about a measuring stick that we've got to live up to. It's not, you know, if we're feeling these feelings of guilt and condemnation, it's wrong. And often we look at the end product and not the journey they've gone on. So we compare ourselves to the end product. Like, isn't Rick Warren amazing? Instead of looking at the journey that he's been on and thinking, actually, that's okay. Because we've all got different journeys to take. Um, so I've got a little confession to make. I am judgmental. Who else here is judgmental? <laughs> well done, most people. That's good. Uh, so my brother recently spent a few hundred pounds quite a few hundred pounds of my parents' money, how dare he, on my inheritance, on um, a sleep therapist. So his son was going through just not sleeping. Um, and he's, was, he was two years old, and they just really needed some help. So they sought professional help that's quite expensive. And me, in my um, 
thinking I know it all kind of frame of mind after having Joy, who is now three years old, and she was a great sleeper. So I approached the subject of, well, Joy slept. I know how to make this person sleep. Just give me a call. I'll tell you all you need to know. Now I've got two children. The second one doesn't sleep. I think God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> but at that point in my life, I was really judgmental. I'm like, how dare you spend my parents' money on something like this? It's just like, like come on. It's easy. I, I did it. It's easy. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, a sleep therapist. Let's look that up. <laughs> the, point, um, the point is, I haven't walked in your shoes. You haven't walked in mine. And often we project our own path, our own journey onto each other. So I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what financial hardship you've been through. Like, I've never uh, lived hand to mouth. I've never missed a meal unless it's my own choice. That's like, um, if, if I had been through real poverty, I might have a very different outlook on life. And none of us have walked the same journey. We've all got our individual stories to tell. And so it's really hard to try, to try not to be judgmental and actually just to, just to allow, allow God to speak to us in our own place. It's good to seek wisdom from each other, um, but we need to be careful as well. So Jesus said, Jesus says that you are not condemned. Jesus said to the women in adultery in John 8, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them accuse you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. For in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So right now, no matter how you're feeling, I want you to hear the message, there is no condemnation. No matter where you're at with money, there is no condemnation. So, in praying for this talk, um, myself and Donna had a, had a little pray, and Donna's really good at getting images from God. And she got this picture of a, a money spider, and then the various things that come along with the, the figure, you know, the, a picture of a spider. And she felt that was from God. So I'm here to share it. So there's three aspects of spiders that we might have. One is fear. Are you scared of them? And relating to money, are you scared? Are you scared of not having enough? Or maybe you have enough, but you're scared that one day you won't. Or your children won't. How much fear... Do you have? Now, quite early on in my Christian walk, someone I went up for prayer ministry and someone was very bold and said, I've had a word from God for you. And it is, you will always have enough. You'll never be rich or poor, but you'll have enough. I was like, oof. Okay. And I, actually, throughout the years, I've hung on to that when there's been difficult times, when I've been scared that there's not enough. In the culture around me today, it says that I'm meant to be the breadwinner. I'm meant to be earning lots of money for my family. My wife's on maternity leave. We're now trying to save some money. It's quite tight. Um, and I feel like I should be out earning all the money. It's the culture. But I keep going back on this word from God that there will, we'll always have enough. And just to do what I think God is telling me to do. I also, um, when I started 
doing youth work. I just finished a degree in astrophysics. I might have told this story before. But I had this huge student debt. I had, um, yeah, some debt. And I couldn't see a way of doing what, God want, what I thought God wanted me to do, which was youth work and getting paid very little, and still being financially stable and paying off this loan. And so I asked God, you know, I will, I will go into ministry if you pay off this loan for me. Because <laughs> I was scared. I was scared of like actually you know, doing it without the financial backing. And then I got a phone call from my uncle, who we hardly ever hear from. He lives in Malaysia. And he says, David, I just want to pay off the student debt that you, got, you had. I'm like, what? You don't know what you've just done. It was 15 grand. Just gone. And so then I enrolled in, a, in a Bristol Baptist College and started doing um, a youth work degree. And I didn't get more debt from that. <laughs> it was good. Um, but that was just an incredible moment where actually my uncle said, oh, I was going to tell you at the start of the degree that all your student debt was going to be paid for, but your parents asked me not to. And it just so happened at that point I prayed to God and then it had been answered. And so I haven't looked back since. The second part of being a spider, of not being a spider, of a spider, is um, perhaps feeling overwhelmed if there's too many of them. <laughs> is it, you know, if there's like a bunch of spiders, like you know, one of those nests, they're all hatching out. It's just like, Maybe you have too much money. Which is an interesting thing. So often, um, maybe you don't have enough, maybe you've got too much. So this reminds me of a song by C6 Steve. Does anyone know who C6 Steve is? He's an American, uh, yes. He's an American singer. He's, I think he's in his 60s, he's got a big grey beard. He's really lived a life. Uh, and he does this kind of country style singing, but it, it's very good. Well, he's got this one song called Treasures. I just want to read out the lyrics to you. I would quite like to sing it, but I'm not sure. When I walk down... No, it's okay. When I walk down your street, through your barred windows, you look at me, and you wonder, have I come to ask for one of your precious things that do not last? All your treasures, all your treasures. You think you know me, but you don't know that there's more to this picture than that shows, and you fear that I come to steal your security that ain't real, all your treasures, all your treasures. I will leave now and you won't cry. With relief, you'll just sigh. You'll remember, come one day, and you'll walk out your door because you can't stay while all your treasures, all your treasures slip away. So he wrote that um, after reflecting on his youth. He used to go just walking, aimlessly walking and walking. And he used to go through these American suburbs and he never looked that well-to-do. And people would look out their windows at him and go, what does he want? And he didn't want anything. He's just walking. He didn't want any of their stuff. But they'd always look out with that look of, what do you want? And look through the windows and then sigh with relief when he's gone. But he says in an interview and about this song, is that they all looked like they were imprisoned by their stuff. He was there walking down the street free, and they're all in their houses peeking out, going, what does he want? And sighing with relief, and they shut the door. 
And he's out there going, you, you all look trapped. What's going on? Why are you all trapped in your possessions, all your houses, all your treasures that will slip away? That was his perspective on things. It's a very powerful song. If you get the chance to listen to it, C6 Steve, Treasures. It's a good plug for him. Uh, so we can be trapped by money. The more we have, maybe the more security you want to have. The more cameras we might put up, the more insurance we get. The third part is exchange. So there are myths about spiders. Do you, I wonder if you know some of these. I was surprised by a few of them. So there's superstitions surrounding spiders. If you step on a spider, you'll bring on rain. Did you know that? It's going to rain if you step. All spiders, except tarantulas, are omens of good luck. <laughs> the larger the spider, the bigger the rewards. Ooh. If you see a spider climbing the wall, you will have your dearest wish come true. Seeing a spider run across a wall is another sign of good luck. I mean, <laughs> ooh. If you see a spider spinning a web, you'll have an increase in your income due to its hard work. <laughs> do, do people know this stuff? <laughs> if a spider crawls into your pocket, you'll always have money. Like, get in there. If a spider hangs over your head, you'll get a letter that day. And if a spider builds its web across your door, you can expect company. And if you walk into a spider web, you'll meet a friend that day. And one of the more interesting ones is um, don't kill spiders because it has been unlucky since a spider spun a web over baby Jesus to hide him from Herod. Seriously? <laughs> I haven't read that in the Bible. <laughs> Did that happen? <laughs> there are superstitions that exist. Um, so there's also superstitions around, around money. And it's like, it's, it's the exchange of money that superstitions around, sur surround. So consumerism. If you buy the next model up of car, of whatever it is, you'll be happier. One of the ones I've been, I have encountered time to time in myself is the exchange superstition with church and tithing. So if I give my tithe to Christ Church, it will meet my need. And if it does not meet my need, it, I will reduce my tithe. That is a superstition. That's a consumerist myth being put onto your tithe. That's not biblical. And I've, I've, I've had that. So you, it's annoyed me. You've sung the wrong hymn. You've got the wrong guy up to speak. I'm not giving my tithe this week. It's that exchange, that, that superstition that is in our culture of this consumerism, that money rules but we've already received we give because we received first we, we give out of what Jesus has done for us not what we're yet to get but in all these examples the fear, feeling overwhelmed and the exchange money has been given too much power God wants us to give that power over to him. Our God is a jealous God. He's a loving God. He loves you so much. And he warns us that you can't serve both God and money. 
Because money will give you orders. It will boss you around if we don't put God first. And God wants freedom, not condemnation. He wants money that comes from generosity, not from guilt. So if it's like, oh, if I have to give 10%, oh, because everyone says I has to. You know, it's, it, if you're feeling guilty, it's, your heart's in the wrong place. It needs to come from a joyous generosity of what God and Jesus has already done for us. So we had that reading of Jesus saying, do not worry. And that has annoyed me from time to time. Because <laughs> it's so hard not to worry. The world is full of anxiety. On the news all the time. The unemployment level, Brexit, just like everything. So I encounter young people. Um, so I work at the YMCA twice a week. And this summer I was um, given a job at the skate park at Locking in Western Supermare. And my job was just to get to know the young people there and hang out there. Um, and through the YMCA as well recently, I've been allowed to take some young people for meals that wouldn't otherwise have been, you know, had the opportunity to. And during my time with these young people, I've been asking them, are you hopeful? You know, what are your aspirations for the future? And many of them just aren't hopeful of what's to come. They read the news, they think, oh, we're all going to die in a nuclear war between America and North Korea anyway. World War III is not far away. Or they look at house prices and think, we're never going to afford a house. They look at jobs and think, it's very competitive, I don't know if I could do that. And they're crushed by this anxiety and the schools and everyone trying to get the best out of them, the results. And the anxiety level between young people is going up and up and up and it's coming out in self-harm, in eating disorders, in you know, mental health. And it's really hard to see, to see that happening. So this world is filled with anxiety. And yet Jesus says, do not worry. So we need to be able to show these young people that you can get through life without worrying. I wonder if we could do that. I mean, I think that's one of the gifts. As you get older and wiser, you've encountered things in your life, hardship, moments where you're not sure if you've been made redundant, what's going to happen, but you're sitting here, you've got through it somehow. These are things that we need to pass on, this good news, that actually you don't have to worry so much. Now I wonder, is your picture of Jesus a happy person, or is it someone who's very doom and gloom? Because a lot of people like to think that uh, the message that the church gives is this world is a place of shadows. It's a place of sin, of war. You know, it's, it's just not a hopeful place. But is your picture of Jesus that of a happy person? Because yes, there is darkness, and all the darkness and sadness in the world landed on him at the crucifixion. Yes, he wept at Lazarus' tomb when he died and raised him from life. Yes, he became sad and angry when people did not trust God. And there's the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. But these are the exceptions. They're the dark patches on a bright background. Jesus is watching the birds in this passage. 
And he's going, look at them. Look how they're enjoying life, swooping together, just having a great time. They're not worried. Then he looks at the flowers in the fertile Galilean soil. He says, look at the colors and the patterns. Look at these flowers. Look what God has done. And yet they could be cut or trampled really easily. But just look at the beauty in this world. We have a creator God that has made an amazing world for us. I wonder who here watches planet Earth. Because that really brings it out, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, you see things that just amaze you. I can't believe the, the world does this. Jesus isn't filled with anxiety about tomorrow, but is able to be fully present in today. So he's able to wear, I, I, I never thought about this before, but when he, when he was crucified, the Roman soldiers cast lots over his tunic. That's because it was an amazingly beautiful tunic. It wasn't just a piece of sackcloth that they would have torn and thrown away because it had blood on it and stuff. They cast lots over it. They wanted it because he was able to wear tunic. There's that story of the perfume being poured over him and he, he's able to appreciate it and be fully present in the moment. He's able to put money in its place. When Jesus tells us not to worry about what to eat, drink or wear, he is not saying that it doesn't matter. It isn't about eating less or drinking less or wearing the worst clothes. Jesus liked to party and, when he done, and, and he was able to wear things like this tunic. So we are to work, we are to earn a living, but we should do it with joy because our Father, the Creator God of all, wants to clothe us and feed us. There's a saying like, put the world first and you'll find it gets moth-eaten in your hands. But put God first and you'll get the whole world thrown in.